0: One of the best food scenes in the country, right here in Minnesota. And nobody knows it like magazine food critic and James Beard Award finalist, Jason Derusha. Now bringing you the most interesting people and hottest trends. Let's listen in as Derusha Eats. Thanks so much for listening to Derusha Eats. It's Jason Derusha. I cover food and restaurants at WCCO Radio in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm also the food editor of Minnesota Monthly Magazine. And we bring you some of the most interesting people in the food space in this podcast to Russia Eats. This time, we bring together two of our most awarded chefs in Minnesota. Sean Sherman has received international acclaim for his work in celebrating, highlighting, elevating indigenous cuisine. The first time I met him, he was still doing research trying to sort out exactly what it meant to be indigenous as a chef what that cuisine looked like, what that restaurant ultimately would look like. He is a chef and co-owner of O'Omni, the CEO of the Indigenous Food Lab, where his team researches and educates about Native foods and Native techniques. Alex Roberts was one of our first James Beard Award winners. For 30-plus years, Restaurant Alma has been a destination for diners right near the University of Minnesota. He's since launched a hotel and a cafe and a fast casual restaurant that I just love called Brasa. Two great guys, two talented chefs, both chasing excellence and creativity in this edition of DeRussia Eats. Our guest today may be the most awarded chef in the Twin Cities. Sean Sherman has been really uh, on the front edge in the united states at raising awareness at revitalizing at re-energizing the idea and the discussion as to what it means to have indigenous foods and it's so great to have you with us To russia each sean thanks for coming in yeah thanks for having me the first time i did a story with you was a long time ago Yeah, little earth you were at little earth in minneapolis mm-hmm. teaching native american kids yeah about uh what their food was and at the time Gosh, was this 10 years? I don't know. It was a long time It would have been 2014, 15, somewhere in there. There was almost no discussion uh, other than you... Uh, trying to raise awareness but it was tough at that time at to to break through and get people to hear what you were trying to say wasn't it
1: yeah we were just starting like we were just forming the food truck back then to tonka truck and we're starting to do catering and some pop-ups and i, I was working on the cookbook at that time with beth dooley that became the sous chef's Indigenous kitchen and all that was happening in those early days but we were just starting back then
0: today you have. Won a James Beard Award for that cookbook. Mm-hmm. Then you also won a James Beard Award for best new restaurant in the United States for Womni. Mm-hmm. and a Leadership Award in 2019 from James Beard also. And you also won a an award from uh, the Julia the the Julia Child Award that was just given to you.
1: Well, that's coming up in oh, that's October coming. 26. So that's coming up. That's going to be a big gala right here downtown at the Depot. What? What? All of these awards? What? I mean. What do you make of them? You know, it just keeps helping. I mean, it's been a big year because we also had the Time 100. We're 100 most influential people in the world, which is a big one. Um, But for me, it's just building this platform to be able to talk about these things because it's an issue that should be addressed. It's an issue that people should be aware of, not only here in the Mm -hmm. U.S.,
0: but with indigenous peoples all over the world. Sean Sherman is our guest. When you get put on a list like the Time 100, do you... I mean, this is sort of a weird question, but do you internalize that as a reality that, hey, I am one of the 100 most influential people?
1: Uh, it's really hard because I, I don't have—I move so fast. I have so many irons in the pot, so to speak, in the fire— and, um, you know, I, just, I'm always, I feel like I'm living in the future a little bit. I feel like mm-hmm. I'm already a few years down the road because I have so many things happening. Projects that you're working on. Yeah, at. absolutely. Yeah. And it's hard for me to stop sometimes and just realize all these things that are happening. But, you know, a lot of things have happened. Like there's been a lot of accolades. There's been a lot of the this attention and a lot of uh, a lot of curiosity about this work. And, and it's grown and grown and grown, especially, like you said, yeah. since you first started interviewing me like almost, de- almost a decade ago.
0: Do you think it's a realization? of the fact. And and one of the things that always uh, stuck with me after our first conversation is that we have restaurants in this country that celebrate just about every sliver of, you know, uh, uh, ethnic background, racial background, uh, personality type. I mean, you name it, we have it. Except. Uh, there really hasn't. And I know people always fact check me on this. Well, there's this. Well, there's that. <laughs> sure, sure. But most restaurants that talked about indigenous food or Native American cooking were either some sort of fry bread type situation or attached to a museum right? where there really wasn't a standalone kind mm-hmm. of celebration and exploration like a
1: yeah, I mean, we're extremely unique and you know that's great and it's also unfortunate because we believe there should be native restaurants in every scene, every single city, every single region for people to experience to really showcase the cultures of those diverse areas.
0: There's so much diversity across everywhere, you know. Why do you why do you think there and and there still are not a ton of them? It's mm-hmm. not like there's been an explosion. Do you think it's unfamiliarity with the ingredients is there? Uh, obviously, it takes a lot of work to find ingredients that are indigenous. What What do you think it is?
1: Well, you know, it's a big, it's a big, it's a, it, it's a big question because, like, I address that a lot because I do a lot of public speaking engagements, and it's always why aren't there Native American restaurants all over the place? You know, why can't you go in a city like New York and find food from literally all over the world, but nothing that represents the land that you're standing on, especially Indigenous cultures? You know, but it's really just a story of American colonialism when it comes down to it, and how Indigenous peoples were treated mm-hmm. in the reservation systems and, you know, just the assimilation of our cultures, the breakdown of our cultures. Um, And we're just coming into an era where we're starting this reclamation process. We're starting to reclaim our past, our connection with our ancestry, our knowledge with foods and the food systems that our ancestors utilized. And, you know, so when I did this work, I just built my own philosophy of what it meant to have a modern day indigenous restaurant and what it means to decolonize per se. Um, And so like, you know, cutting out- What does it mean? So for for me, it was just like to decolonize was understanding what colonization meant right so just understanding what happened just like i said and you know colonization is the policy or practice of acquiring full or partial political control over another country occupying it with settlers exploiting it economically you can break that down to ex- exploitation for profit um, and placing settlers there to maintain control of, of regions that had nothing to do with you but anyways when you look at american history especially across the 1800s you see so much violence against indigenous communities so much disruption um, and even a lot of death you know there's literal genocide happening in areas around the United States, places like California, especially. Um, But we, you know, so we address that and we talk about like, you know, what was the knowledge of indigenous ancestors, especially like I grew up on Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota, enrolled with the Oglala Lakota. Why did I grow up on the reservation knowing very little about my food? And it was a story basically of assimilation, losing our own education systems, losing connection to our food systems. But now we're taking steps to reclaim that and bring that back.
0: As you went through this process, Sean Sherman, who is... The sous chef was originally, uh, do you still go, do you still use that moniker? Uh, It was never intended to be a moniker. It was always just supposed to be the the, uh,
1: funny name, you know, because I always thought it was a play on words. It is funny. Yeah, because I had sous chef at AOL to date myself and sous chef at Hotmail. And And it's S-O-U-S is the culinary. S-I-O-U-S is is mine, yeah, and S-O-U-S is the culinary. So it was a play on words. words. I just thought it was, you know, I thought it was, you know, witty and funny. So I started using that early. Um, But, you know, people associate me with the sous chef and it just is what it is, you know? Yeah. So yeah, we still use that brand. Um, it's got a lot of followers um, and we still activate it, you know, because we have the Sous Chef, we have Awamni, we have Natives, we have the Indigenous Food Lab. Um, and I have a lot of personal followers on my own side too, so.
0: Uh, today I went to visit the Indigenous Food Lab uh, market at Midtown Global Market for lunch. It was really good. Great. Talked to Jason who runs the place and right. uh, Anna who, who uh, runs the recipes And I love that you can go to this market in Midtown Global and you have I mean, it's a small kind of curated selection Mm -hmm. of uh, it, it shows the variety of stuff that Native Americans are making all over the country. It has to be hard to find it. It's not like you can go to one wholesaler and get all this stuff.
1: No, no. We have a bunch of different distributors we order from and different suppliers that we order from. But we just wanted to curate a place that we can bring a bunch of cool native produced products in there. Um, A lot of them food, some of them health and wellness, and then some books on the topic and stuff like that. Because this is a model that we're building that we're hoping to place other places. And really we're trying to create distribution of some moving some of these foods around, especially into
0: indigenous and tribal communities. Because certainly buying, you know, I, I worry sometimes that uh, people have decided that by make doing like a land uh, acknowledgement that people can wash their hands and say like, oh, we've <laughs> done it. We made it good. Like, oh, we gave a little bit of land back to Native Americans in northern Minnesota. Oh, yep. we're doing our part. <laughs> and the truth is like, you need to put some money where your mouth is. You need to economically support. Uh, you know, native producers and, and your operations as well, I, th- I think. Yeah, you know, because we're a nonprofit. We're always looking for money, more
1: money, because we're growing, we're expanding. We have big aspirations of doing more of this work, and we want to help out all the tribal communities around us in our region. And we're already working on expanding and growing food labs in other
0: regions to do that same work. Now, in your research, you, you came up basically with certain foods that you avoid, where you say, all right, this is too colonized, this is out. And what's the the broad list of that is? Yeah, so it was just the philosophy we created, and it
1: was basically removing colonial ingredients of things that were introduced. So we took away wheat flour, cane sugar, dairy products, beef, pork, chicken, for example. You know, so if you're at a Wammy, you're not going to find ranch dressing or you know ketchup or soda or things like that. You know, but you'll find a bunch of more interesting products there.
0: What's the hardest thing? Because you used to cook conventional uh, food. Oh yeah. What do you miss the most or what's the hardest well, thing? Well, I mean,
1: I love cooking, so I'll pretty much cook everything especially at so you, home. You so still I do it I cook at, yeah. at home all for the time. For the restaurants. Yeah, but for the restaurant, no, we stay with that philosophy because we want people to have this experience. We want people to see what food can be utilizing a pantry that's largely where we happen to live, which right here is in Minnesota, right? And we're using a lot of like the wild foods around us and we're utilizing native American native American agricultural pieces and heirloom seeds of things, you know, and lots of game and birds and things that we just see when we're just walking around Minnesota various areas.
0: Yeah. I had bison on my, uh, you know, wild rice grain bowl today for lunch. It was delicious.
1: Great, great. And it's healthy. And we're serving really only healthy food and we don't have to call ourselves a health food restaurant.
0: I want to ask you about that sort of, kind of that that, uh, scale, if you will, of deliciousness versus giving an educational kind of honest experience. We'll talk about that. Plus... Uh, already a texture is asked, I want to know where Sean Sherman likes to eat when he's going to restaurants in the Twin Cities. So we'll ask you about that as well. Sean Sherman is our guest. Owamni is part of his uh, overall effort at improving knowledge, decolonizing food, and celebrating the indigenous uh, Americans. More on Da Russia Eats brought to you by Liquor Boy in just a minute here on CCO. DeRussia Eats with Sean Sherman. O'Womney is his restaurant. Uh, The Indigenous Food Lab Market at Midtown Global Market. The North American Traditional Indigenous Food Systems is the overall nonprofit. Uh, So glad to have Sean with us on the show. Before the break, Sean, I talked about this idea of, you know, a restaurant. There's an expectation of deliciousness. But you also have a larger mission of telling the story of indigenous food. How is that ever a tension where where that's in balance or how to you know, one one of the things with a I think, is that it's a bit of a palate adjustment for Americans, for Minnesotans, because it's not as sweet. It's not maybe as salty as we're uh, traditionally used to. It's not as fatty.
1: Yeah, we've tried to keep everything really clean because, again, we're cutting out especially a lot of that dairy product and that mouth feel you get from that and all the extra salts and, you know, that salt-fat-sugar combo situation. Right, the butter, so,
0: the salt that comes from
1: that. You exactly. guys use salt. Yeah, right? we use salt, of course, and we use a lot of sunflower oil. We use a lot of animal fats and things like that. But there's lots of different flavors, and they're nuanced, you know, and we want people to experience some of the true flavors. And we want well-seasoned food, of course, but we also want to really let the food kind of speak for itself. Um, and, you know, we changed the menu quite a bit. So we're about ready for our next menu change because we've been trying to change on the equinoxes and solstices. So it changes four times a year with that
0: situation. One of the things that I've uh, admired is how many Native American employees you have as servers, as cooks. as It's not 100%. You never said that that's what you wanted to do. But uh, to me, it's moving not only that, that's who you're hiring, but also that uh, when I was talking to Anna today, she was talking about how she feels nourished uh, in her soul, that she's doing something bigger than just, cranking out food.
1: Absolutely. We feel very proud with what we've created because we have a little over 100 employees at the restaurant alone and about 50 employees at the nonprofit. So it's a lot of employees. Yeah. And, you know, we, we're we about 70% of our staff identify as indigenous in some way, you know. And so there's just, we feel really good about those particular numbers. And, you know, we just, we see the restaurant as a, something that creates a lot of cash flow, moves a lot of food product, creates a lot of jobs and raises a lot of awareness with the work that we're doing.
0: Is the restaurant kind of, what you had hoped and dreamed in Awamni is right on the riverfront. It's just a beautiful restaurant.
1: Yeah, I feel so lucky that we ended up at that exact location. You know, that was just pure luck and chance that, that we were able to walk into that situation. And I feel really great about the way things turned out. And we're going to continue to curate it and see how far we can grow with it. People still come in from all over the We've country? We've still been sold out. Like, try to find a reservation, and it's really tough. But we do have walk-ins. We do have the patio while it's still open right now. It feels like fall already, you know? but. <laughs> Patio is really nice to sit at, so I was out there today.
0: Is there extra pressure when you know your guests are flying in often just specifically to go to your restaurant?
1: You know, our team is doing such a great job. I just have full trust in them, and they're pulling it off. You know, like we're, we get lots of amazing reviews, and we're always going to have some bad reviews here and there. But overall, we're getting amazing reviews, and people are giving us glowing reviews, especially. I'm there all the time, and people just get up and shake my hand and yeah. are just so grateful so thankful. And, like, I just am happy that we've created something that really resonates with
0: people. You're working on another cookbook? Yep,
1: that's true. So working on a big cookbook, um, this one's going to look at all of North America from Mexico through Alaska through all the Im- immense diversity that's out there in a cookbook form and really just kind of showcase this indigenous perspective of North America.
0: Did you ever dream that you, I mean, I think back to you growing up on a reservation, uh, working in the school, trying to launch a food truck? I mean, look at all this, man. Yeah, no, I couldn't have
1: ever guessed all of this success would come through this. And I, I feel like I'm just starting, you know. I feel like I'm, I'm just taking my first few steps. It's <laughs> So cool.
0: So cool. I'm excited for you. Uh, the 2023 Julia Child Award. Uh, there is a, a big dinner and a big gala on... October 24th. October 24th, right at the Depot in downtown Minneapolis. Yeah, right by the Womney. So you can uh, find information on that at, uh, well, I have a link. How about I tweet it out, at Derusha J. And so you can check that out. I'll tweet that out uh, as soon as we're done. Sean Sherman, congratulations. Oh! What are your three restaurants? Someone texted and <laughs> wanted to know if it's the Lexington. Is it the Lexington in St. Paul? That's a good one. We love the Lexington.
1: I do love the bartender at the Lexington. You know, that's who is texting. <laughs> exactly. Um, I I would have to say I, I've been really liking Guy Noy um, you yes. know, right downtown. Um, I've been having just great stuff and Animad, I, I really casual delicious so good um i really i still really love E's little spot in the, in the in the little food hall downtown here that union union Mom Mom kitchen, kitchen and that gigantic yeah. platter that you order there to oh, share with a big table you know that so stuff fun. is so good yes and um you know and i've been i spend a lot of time over at stepchild too just because i'm good friends with those guys and i enjoy hanging out there i like that place it yeah. just feels good yeah i like hanging out there
0: yeah Sean Sherman, really fun to have you on. Thank you. Great, thank you. Hey, it's Jason to Russia with a message from Minnesota's pig farmers. Discover the meat of the North. Pork. Pork is as Minnesotan as the lakes, trees, and people who call this state home. Did you know there are more than thirty thousand pig farming families? They live and work in the North Star State, raising one of the safest, most delicious meats the whole world can enjoy. Pork is something we enjoy in the Durusha family at least a few times a week. Maybe it's pork loin roast, shoulder, pork chops, ribs, huh, bacon. Oh, I'm getting hungry just talking about it. It's so affordable too. If you're looking for recipes MNPork.com's got them. Great recipes like dilled pork cutlets, Parmesan-crusted pork chops, and you can feel good about eating pork from Minnesota farmers. They've been reducing their carbon footprint with better genetics, new technologies, and more. Pick up pork tonight for dinner at your local meat market or grocery store. Let's have Minnesota pork for dinner. Oh, yeah. The Russia Eats continues. Here's your host, Jason Derusha. Our guest today is one of my absolute favorites, and he's a favorite of so many chefs and servers and owners. When you talk in the Twin Cities about restaurant people that serve as a mentor or an inspiration, Alex Roberts from Alma, the restaurant, the cafe, the hotel, the shop, and Brasa, the wonderful rotisserie, is at the top of the list. Alex, it's so good to have you here.
2: It's great to be here. Great to
0: see you again. You may be the only person, I think I've told you this before, but I don't know that I've ever heard a bad thing about you, which is very unusual in the restaurant business. You just have a reputation as a, as a good human being. Well, I hope so. You could probably find somebody. But I'm, that's well, life, huh? you're
2: a boss and an owner, and that's part of that deal. But I try to, I try to, uh, you know, lead with some virtue and and, and uh, try to be the best person I can be. So, yeah.
0: Restaurant Alma opened how long ago? We'll be 24 this fall. Wow. Yeah. Right. Did, when you open, how old were you when you opened that restaurant? 28. Right by the University of Minnesota yeah. campus. 28 years old. At the time, were you, were you an arrogant like? know-it all chef or were you sort of i mean to be twenty eight and open your own restaurant is it's pretty
2: gutsy um i had a I had a great mentor and a former employer that we partnered on the restaurant so I had that going for me and I think without that it, I wouldn't have been so confident yeah uh, I certainly was a little bit cocky at twenty eight I didn't have some of the humility I've learned from you know taking a few knocks along the way I was at twenty eight right, too right, it was, yeah. yeah at twenty eight me twenty uh, eight year old me I'm not sure. You look back and think like, "Oof!" But that ego kind of, I think, motivates you to do to try something. And, yeah, and I tried, and, and still standing, and to, you know can tell the story now too. So
0: sort of remarkable because, especially if you look at the area that Alma, Alma would be, I think, would be categorized as fine dining, but it's not stuffy fine dining the way maybe some people think of it. How how would you describe it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've always put Alma in the category of like a three star restaurant. Uh, serving four-star quality food, you know, uh, like the highest yeah. quality ingredients that we can find, a real discipline to seasonality and supporting local farmers and wherever we find that quality. But in the presentation and in the way that we handle the food, it's done pretty mm. rustic in a, in a way. It's finesse, but rustic. And so I would say if you were to measure it like to uh, a New York restaurant or something, it would be a three-star restaurant in a place like that. Yeah. Uh, which is high praise. Like that's not
0: three star. I know in Minnesota people
2: think like, oh, only got three stars. Like yeah. three stars is
0: well, we have we, we are
2: rated four stars here by the yeah. Star Tribune, and we have multiple times. But in my mind, I mean that's very generous. We appreciate that, but to me, it doesn't create the right expectation. I think a four star restaurant is that place that has you know the beautiful tile in the bathroom and the. Perfect fixtures, and you know Alma isn't the there. A, a whole, a whole thing. Yeah, we're a little more of a rustic building warehouse. So I think it's kind of that blend of things that right. makes Alma unique. Right, I think so
0: too. We have a little <laughs> great
2: inflation. here Well, you have to grade a little bit by what we have,
0: right? And truly, like if you looked at our scene, which has boy, and your time has really grown, right? Yes, but we're, we're not really a four star restaurant town. We, we don't have support a many. We and, don't support
2: it. And thankfully, we have we have um, Demi now, and we've got Cato. Yeah. And those are re- re- spectacular experiences, and I think they really are deserving of that four star level. And I'm glad we have them because they define a certain height or a certain place in the ecosystem of restaurants. And we need those kind of top tier, like we had La Belle Vie and some other special restaurants along the way that that provided that level too.
0: Who who do you who supports? Uh... When you look back at the history of Alma, uh, who who supported it enough that you were able to keep around? Because I think about this a lot in the the context of the way people in the Twin Cities dine. We love steakhouses. People spend a ton of money at a steakhouse. But they'll go to a restaurant like yours and say, like, hmm, kind of (laughs) spendy. you think like yeah. come on man <laughs> like, give I, me a
2: break I, I think the spend at alma is about what you'd spend at Manny, so that's a good comparison yeah right? but do, do people see the same value it's a great question i don't i don't assume everybody does but i lucky, think you lucky should, for us, you should. Yeah. yeah and lucky for us enough people do that we're we're here right right um but that's a great question who supports us i mean i i won't name the restaurant but i was in a place the other day and i looked around the dining room and there was you know gucci bag and birkin bag and all these bags along the room that uh, many of the women had at the side of the table, and I look at my dining room, and I would say we have a few of those bags, but it's not a room full of those bags. And I know that Alma's a unique place because we often, like I know a person who's a, a public school teacher, they come once a year for their birthday every mm. year because that's their budget perhaps on that salary, and yeah. so I really love that we get both the you know the high spend. Uh, you know, luxury car, you know, maybe spending level and people that can do it at will. And then people that come once a year and everything in between. So we're that place that I think we have a yeah. pretty wide. How gratifying, though, that
0: people make that choice in that way, right? Oh, it's, it's an honor. Alex yeah. Roberts owns Brasa and Alma. Before we talk about Brasa, Alma really changed a handful of years ago when you became a hotel and the cafe. What uh, you are sort of singular in the Twin Cities in a building like this, where you own the whole thing.
2: What what is, has it gone as you had hoped? How is it How has it gone? Oh, it's a, it's a good question. Um, in many ways, it has. In some ways, the things that you thought would be difficult. We're not, and the things that you thought would be easy were difficult. So for example, the hotel has been a very easy part of that project. It's only seven rooms. People say, well, what's it like to be a hotelier? I'm like, I'm not a hotelier. <laughs> I'm the guy with seven, you know, Airbnb <laughs> rooms. It's kind of, yeah. you know, it's not Airbnb, but it's, it's a very small part of our project. Whereas having an all-day cafe, especially back when we were open from very early to very late, especially pre-COVID seven days a week, that was much harder than I thought. What's hard about that? It's just, you know, you have a, a big staff because it's all hours of the day. And then you have a, a clientele that some days they're there in the middle of the afternoon and some days there's nobody there in the middle of the afternoon. Hmm. And you need people there in case it gets busy. And unlike reservations or just a dinner only, you know when you're going to be busy where this all-day cafe was kind of a moving target. And so it has been a work in progress. Um, we're going on seven years now. But right now it's working pretty well. That's so interesting. But it's been changing as the entire time it's evolved.
0: The unpredictability of the diner. Yeah. I mean, my my wife and I and our kids went on Mother's Day, and at first we were like, do we have the guts to go to Alma Cafe on Mother's Day? It's (laughs) going to be wall-to-wall people. And it wasn't. It was busy. I mean, Mm -hmm. we got the last table, but we got a table. We didn't have to wait, Mm -hmm. which
2: was, we loved it. But I thought like, wow, that's sort of amazing. Well, and the new format is no reservations, And so, and and it's counter service. And so it it does turn quickly and we have outdoor tables and we can expand into our other dining rooms that we use for private parties. And so, yeah, we kind of seating on demand. And so it's, it, um, it it really is really pretty cool that way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's excellent, thank you. Uh, as is Brassa, your rotisserie
2: restaurant. How long has Brassa been open now? You're test me here. I think uh, we're entering our seventeenth year now. Wow, mm-hmm. that's crazy. Yeah, it will be the, at this. This uh, sixteen will be seventeen. Entering our seventeenth year this in this this uh, this month. Yeah. Started
0: in Northeast Minneapolis, first one there, but yeah. now in Saint Paul.
2: Saint Paul, two years later, and then. Um, right in the, the, the year the, of the pandemic, we opened up uh, Brassa Southwest, which is over on 46th and Bryant, over kind of by the Lake Harriet, uh, East Harriet area. And that one now is uh, a few years old, too.
0: You're a, a creative person. When you look at having a more casual, uh, Brassa is, so, it's not exactly counter service. You get some service. It's sort of an, an in-between, a, a more casual model.
2: It is definitely a in, in the fast casual right. style, but yeah. we do um, allow people to, uh, if they want to order the counter, they can, but be, be, people can be sat, they can order from a QR code, or they can order from a, a human being uh, to kind of get through <laughs> those menus and, and understand yeah. the details of the food. Is there a different creative
0: muscle that gets stretched doing that sort of business versus doing a, a, an Alma
2: style? Absolutely. I mean, all these things, right, from, like you said, hotel to the Cafe de Brasa to that restaurant. That combo is, for me as a creative person, is phenomenal to be able to kind of flex all those different uh, ways of thinking and and then the problem-solving and, of course, just making the food, right? Just making food at all those different price points, uh, times of day. It's a great learning process, but also one where you're never going to be a master of those things. So I also rely on others who have skills that I don't, like pastry chefs um, and people who are specialists. A texter already said
0: to make sure to tell you that your pastry team deserves a raise because the pastry team at Alma is the best of the business. Oh, that's wonderful. It's nice. nice. I'll work on that. Yeah. Don't just give them an oral. Don't just give them the verbal tip. Yeah. The verbal raise. Yeah. You guys are doing great. <laughs> Alex Roberts is our guest. Brasa, Alma, the hotel, the cafe, the restaurant. We are going to take a break. We will come back, and I want to talk about uh, the tipping dilemma uh, alma has been on the front edge of trying to figure that out i know some of you guys are so annoyed with surcharges or fees or what to do about that i know alex has struggled with it too so we'll talk about that plus get alex's three places three recommendations that are not his own restaurants all of that as we continue with to russia eats alex roberts in a minute on cco alex roberts is with us to russia eats brought to you by liquor boy Go check them out in St. Louis Park. Uh, Alex, when you look at the challenge of tipping and compensating people fairly, we've seen restaurants trying so many different things. Talk me through what you guys decided to do
2: because it 's hard it's difficult very it 's very difficult, and just the subject alone is is polarizing and 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 I think um, misunderstood by many. In short, what we did at Brasa and we did in the cafe is we made our pricing all-inclusive. We basically raised our prices approximately 15%, 18%, and we just said, here are the prices. Because we're offering less service now, we thought it was appropriate. You go to a lot of places like a pizza shop or maybe a, a fast food restaurant, and where there's limited service, it's just a price. There's not a tip line at a lot of those places, right? You get a, you get a burrito at Chipotle or a plate of rice and beans and chicken at Brasa. There's not a tip line there. So right. That's that's the, the the way we have it there, uh, and in the cafe.
0: And do the people get do your did your employees get like some sort of approximation of what like they might have used to have gotten when there was a tip
2: line? Yeah, for us, we have all we had all that data because we did. There was the, the team at our restaurant had chose to do a tip tip pooling, and so all that money was collected and then it was distributed in their checks, and so we knew exactly what average wages were. And so when we set those prices. We said okay. We want everybody to be in this range of pay, uh, let's say in the cafe and at brassa, and so that was uh, as well as in the back of the house because the, the tipping system when we had it, it you know you, the restaurant can't control any of the tip. That's the right. state law. It's you can't law. touch yeah. a penny of it.
0: It's a Minnesota law, unique uh, uh, to this state. State really. to state is different. Every right? state is different. Yeah,
2: right? people don't understand that because the federal law is different than the state law right. here, and so I couldn't say hey tip out the cook or whoever the dishwasher, and so. When ha- when having tipping and an increasing minimum wage, it just became very difficult and really untenable for us. And so, and the restaurant side of Alma, we went to a service charge, which is like you said, frustrating many. Um, and we don't have a tip line; we just have that twenty one percent charge in lieu of a t- in lieu of a tip, and we just call that a surcharge. And it's not it's 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 there to provide to make sure that we can provide yeah. sustainable wages to all employees.
0: Why Why do you think more? Re- I will say, like I can actually hear my Minnesota monthly readers and our radio listeners cheering at the idea of you just raising the price and having it be what it is mm. because I feel like that's what most guests would prefer. Just charge me what it costs. You run your business. I don't want to have to, when I go to the twins game, give a tip to, you know, or the coffee shop. If you know, I, I think people feel a little fatigue. Uh, at being asked to tip everywhere.
2: Well, it's especially on top of a service charge right? and the fee, right? That and is so when, you, just when, you, when it. you do both, right? So that's why we don't do both, and that's a, a you really... pick one and you go with it. Yes, and then I think. But what's it...
0: the hesitation? You think
2: why? Why don't more uh, fast casual restaurants just do what you did? Well, on the fast casual side, I don't know because I think it makes a lot of sense for those models. I think in in a lot of full service restaurants and fine dining, it's 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 really about. Um, competing for workers, and to and because the front of the house does make more money in tipping systems. Generally, it's true, yeah. but in, in servers
0: don't like the uh, straight up no tip. Generally speaking.
2: Generally speaking, I'm but not so how did always. you make we it, we it work? We have people that really do believe in it, and that's why they work for us because they really believe uh. in this thing, a system that really lifts everybody up more. And so the floor has been raised for everybody in our business, including managers. Right? People don't really understand that. Oftentimes, servers were making more per hour or quite a bit more per hour than managers because of the economics of a restaurant. And so when we went to the system, the floor was raised for everyone. So and even that, if a
0: manager is making, say, 60, that, is that a crazy number? 60 or 70,000 nope, nope. a year feels like a manager-type money. Yeah, but uh, but if, that would be a pay cut compared to if they were working
2: full hours as a server. Now, being said, the servers aren't working as many hours as the manager, so the, the yearly right. pay isn't the same, but That's if you right. break it down per hour... Um, there, there's, there's, there would be a higher, oftentimes higher hourly for the right. server. So people don't know that, and that can make it difficult to find managers and to people to want to be managers who are in the front of the house. So we feel that our system has a lot of benefits by raising the floor and, and creating a better, um, more equitable environment for more people. When you look ahead, Alex Roberts, our guest from
0: Alma and Brasa, uh, Brasa, I've always said, we need more. We need more brasses. We need brassa could be a national chain. I feel like.
2: But well, good news. We're opening a new one in Hopkins. I just closed moments before I came here. You just closed in Hopkins. We just bought a little building in Hopkins, uh, across from the Dairy Queen in Hopkins. If you know where it is, a main street. Yeah. And That will be oh, a yeah. brassa, uh, a brassa restaurant uh, by, by September. So you bought the building. Yeah. Why'd you pick Hopkins? I just think Hopkins has it all. I think it's, it's been growing. I see businesses committing there. I see a lot of, like, what I would say, like, you know, smaller homes or first homes. So there's opportunity to move there and for people to start a family. Um, and I also see a lot of diversity there, which is really impressive about Hopkins for the size of the town. And so it's just a great community. We're really, really excited to be there.
0: And within the next... 10, 20, 40 years, the light rail will be done out over there too. So that'll be <laughs> Hopefully nice. Hopefully Brasso
2: will be, be done before that's done. I <laughs> guarantee you Brassel
0: will be open before the light rail yeah. is ready.
2: But Hopkins is a great community. It's amazing. a perfect fit. Yeah. Every time I go there and spend more time there, the more I like it. It's just really, really amazing. Uh, three favorites for you. You're a dad. How old are your kids? I've got eight. My sons are 16 and 17, and my daughter's 13. You're really a family business. I, I always see your wife and your kids, and she's involved as well. Very involved, and, and yeah, the boys work in, in, at Alma, and my daughter is, is really making it st- uh, known that she has to be, get a job there any day now, so <laughs> that'll be soon, too.
0: Uh, three favorites of yours to visit besides your own
2: restaurants, of course. I got to give you the three. Well, let's see. Uh, That's right. Uh, I might maybe. I might squeeze in four. Uh, Legacy Restaurant. Uh, Isaac Becker and Nancy, St. Pierre, Bar La Grassa. Yes. Never disappoints. Uh, neighborhood Restaurant, Mirror of Korea on Snelling and St. Paul. Amazing Korean oh. uh, traditional food. Uh, it's been It's our family favorite. My kid's number one place. I don't place. know that
0: place. I've never been. All right, that's great. My kid's great.
2: number one place. They choose it over Brasa all the time. Hurtful. Uh, okay. Yeah, hurt, <laughs> painful. <laughs> uh, three, Oro by mm. Gustavo uh, and Kate, and is uh, ne- next to... The tortilla business that he's been running, and now it's a full-service restaurant or kind of yeah. fast-casual, amazing, uh, both traditional and kind of contemporary. Or he creative should be on food.
0: Beard Award uh, short, uh, long list for sure, I would and say. And I'm going to throw one
2: more concept yeah. that should be a restaurant, but that's a great food concept. Saturday Dumpling ah, yeah. Co., which is a dumpling uh, kind of pickup-only concept, but we're begging them to open up a brick-and-mortar, and hopefully that's in the future. Alex Roberts, thank you. Good to be here. Thanks.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the DeRussia Eats podcast on WCCO radio, 830 AM. We do conversations with chefs, with farmers, with small business people every Tuesday and Thursday at 4 PM. The podcast is available every week. If you enjoyed what you heard, I would love for you to leave us a review. Give us however many stars you can. I don't know. 10, 20 stars would be nice. Five stars. And leave your feedback as well. It really helps us grow and helps support covering the food community here at WCCO Radio and in the DeRussia Eats podcast. If you'd like to email me with an idea or a question about the restaurant scene, you can email Jason at Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com. Jason at Odyssey dot com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on the DeRusha Eats podcast. Thanks for listening to DeRussia Eats. Dan Cook is our producer. Jason DeRussia is your host. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform
2: and leave us a review. DeRussia Eats is a production of Odyssey.